Everybody, Cable Smith, welcoming each and every one of you into episode 29 of Justified Pursuit. As always, alongside my good buddy, co-host, counselor Chisholm Cook. How are you doing today, my friend? Pretty good, man. Um, it's always I a think... loaded question, depending on the status of the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, uh, it's no m- more crazy than normal, so I think at some point you sort of, it's like the... Uh, the frog in the hot water, right? You sort of just get acclimated to it. But I think we've talked a little bit about all these new responsibilities I've taken on this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, one or two of them seem to be reaching their conclusion, quite thankfully. So it'll be nice to uh, discharge those duties and, uh, I don't know, move on to filling it with something so, else, I guess. Like the HOA thing, is that one mm-hmm. of the ones that's... Right, uh, yeah, yes. Okay. Like I had, we had a call last night about it. I've had emails this morning about it. We're getting very close to, uh, I mean, I won't be totally done with it. Uh, there's, there's some work left to do, but, um, it'll be off my plate for a, a while. So, yeah. Okay. yeah. Nice. I'll still be part of the board, but I, the, the gas station project thing seems to be coming to, did to we win? Conclusion. Uh, define we and define when, I guess. <laughs> did we, did we get the gas station we always <laughs> dreamed of? <laughs> uh, man, the, that, that group, I will say this about the folks, the fine folks at quick trip. They, they went, uh, honestly, and this is even from love their bathrooms plugged for quick trip there. Yeah. The, the, I mean, that's a fantastic facility and, uh, their corporate philosophy is awesome. And it's a privately owned family Christian business out of California. Oh, it's a Christian is, business. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's cool because it. No, oh yeah, it is. A, um, if you really you know. want to ruin your day, what you should do is get their breakfast pizza. Oh my god, it's so good! Like five a.m. on the way pizza. to a duck hunt and grab. Breakfast oh yeah, it's got pizza. It's pizza with like bacon, eggs, runny, drippy cheese. It's the bomb. But then you yeah. feel like shit for the rest of the day. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it. Uh, <laughs> the wad of gluten in my gut alone would <laughs> would yeah. be enough to make me feel like shit. Oh, it's delicious. Love it. Uh, yeah, but no, I mean, the, the, their, their values are awesome, man. And, and it's like the perfect blend of California sensibilities because they're like very concerned about environmental protection. So these guys are putting in additional uh, groundwater and stormwater protections above and beyond what the state of Texas requires mm. just out of goodwill, right? They're putting in um, specialty uh, lighting to protect the dark night skies of, you know, our hill country community. Right. And, um, you know, the, 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 that's, and then a whole lot more than that uh, right. to considerable costs. Like dude, they're spending a exorbitant amount of money on this gas station compared to their standard. And um, anyway, so, you know, I, I think they're going to be a good neighbor. Um, the biggest thing that we're looking at is the, the property they're buying is 10 acres mm-hmm. directly across from our neighborhood. And it's all zoned commercial, C3 commercial. So theoretically, you know, most people that would want to come in and develop it would subdivide that sucker into like at least three parcels. And you'd have like the gas station, a fast food joint and a tire shop. Mm -hmm. Right. And then we'd have like a full commercial complex across from us. Well, these guys are taking eight of the 9.6 or seven acres. So over 80% of the the, uh, property over 85%, I think is the math. 
and dedicating it as a green space in perpetuity and filing that with the county. So like, wow. they'll the, the only thing that's ever there. And yeah. like, I mean, to me, if you could say, do you want a gas station and eight acres of green space or virtually anything else you could name? And I'd be like, yeah, I'll take the gas station and the eight acres. Right. right. Like it's like, it's at some point you just have to say, okay, progress is not always a good thing, but we need gas and snacks are good and coffee's good. <laughs> and ice, you know how that, awesome their ice deal oh, is, dude? Yeah. These their are ice things that we need bomb. and use. So uh, if, if something's yeah. going to go there, might as well be a quick trip. Right. Yeah. <laughs> It's definitely sense. something's the, go, because here's the bottom line something's going there eventually. no doubt about it dude so we're like we're supposedly the very we're one of the three fastest growing counties in america according yeah. to a number of different hey welcome to my sources. world in collin yeah. county texas yeah. and all the but to your point that absolutely that property is going to be used everybody up there knows it you know so yeah um yeah even even the people who had fought it the most from day one and that are the very very closest to it at the entrance to our neighborhood not all of them but some of them are like, yeah, this is a fantastic, you know, arrangement we worked out. So, so it's once again, I need gas. So, yeah. Well, and I mean, again, the, the actual concessions, these things like yeah. eight acres being locked up and all that stuff, you know, yeah. so. Right on. so it's been fun. Um, yeah, I hope to get it there. And I hope that the majority of the community is happy with it. It was cool to step into the fray on something very contentious. And I think that, um, you know, I was at least, I was able to be part of like bringing everybody together uh, to, to work on it and not just have everybody bickering at each other and pointing fingers and stuff. So right. not to say that everybody's going to be perfectly happy at the end of the day, but nobody yeah. ever is. So no. what are you going to do? That's right. Um, okay. So at least that'll be off your plate for a little while. Yeah. How are uh, you? I never reciprocate here. How are you? Oh, What's going on with cable? Never better. Never better, man. <laughs> Good. Uh-huh. I did that thing that with my wife that we all like to do last night. Nice. So the smile on my face, you know, we'll, we'll see if we can do two days in a row. She's going out of town uh, third tomorrow night. So well, sounds like it's uh, necessary. Then. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> Got to bank some goodwill. <laughs> That's right. Um, she's going to spend a, you know, I think our wives are a lot alike and maybe a lot of guys wives are like this, but mine doesn't really have a lot of like, hobbies or like things yeah. that she likes to do other than spend time with the family which i love my family i love spending time with them but not as much as she does like i like going to the turkey woods with chisholm i like going to new mexico to go elk hunting for a week oh by the way africa that's 13 days bye honey you know and do i miss them sure but give me like two or three weeks and i'm ready to do it again yeah. she never does stuff for herself so she's right. going to spend two days in houston with uh two of her best friends from college and awesome yeah. So I, I'm all for her when she wants to take the initiative to go do something. Cause I don't like tell her, don't go do it. I want her to do it, but it's like, I think it's, I think it's a woman thing. Like, uh, and, you yeah. know, mother's instincts, they just want to be close to their nest with their, sure. with their kiddos. Yeah. I mean, generally Somehow speaking, me they're <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Somehow, you know, generally speaking, they're not as adventurous. Right. Um, yeah. yeah I mean, I think I, to your point, I think it's good to, for them to have that as infrequently as it may be and certainly to support it as you know last week ash was up in your neck of the woods i think in addison i think that's where that thing is and uh it's a photography school that she goes to we try to get her there every year obviously it wasn't didn't go down last year although they did it online uh, i think she's missed like once or twice in the last like seven or eight years but it's the 
it's Texas professional photography school. It's like the premier, um, you know, kind of week long, week, week long photography intensive. It's taught by people who are like designated masters of the craft. Mm. Like they've achieved like certain, you know, uh, level thresholds to reach this level, this designation. And, uh, they offer, you know, basically a whole course curriculum, different types of specialties. And so she's taken lighting classes and she's taken like business classes and, uh, she, you know, it, it fills her cup, right. Yeah. You know, I, like you're saying, I certainly have my fair share of uh, adventures that I get to go on. So I totally support her getting to go do that. And then it's a, you know, it's a double, double whammy because she learns a ton while she's there and she always comes out comes back with like awesome ideas and things to work on and uh yeah so she just got back from that which means i was playing full-time dad and uh you know simultaneously uh you know breadwinner um which i know you don't have any sympathy for because you do a lot of the uh the kid running uh with your wife's work schedule and everything oh yeah Last week was a grind. Mike, it was it was in the years I'm past. Really glad we, that you got to do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I I thought about it, man. Like, how how many? How long is Erin going to be gone? Only two days. She's, okay. Well, she's coming back. Well, Sunday's Mother's Day, so she's coming back Saturday sure. night. So yeah. So forty eight hours. Have you ever had your three kids for a solid week without her? Um, probably the longest is like three days. I think she went to New right. York with some girlfriends one time, which I still think puts you. Days. Yeah. I mean, you, like I mentioned, you do a lot of the day-to-day, uh, you know, running around that it takes to get kids where they need to be and all that stuff. So she works six to six now, uh, three, three to four days a week um, right. at the hospital. She used to work. They used to have a seven to seven or eight to eight shift. And like on the seven to seven and eight to eight, it's like she was gone in the morning. By the time the kids got up and the kids were asleep by the time she got home. Right. And I always want to make sure they were asleep so we could, you know, uh, but there were like, she was, it was just me on those days. So, and, and if there was three days in a row, yeah, I mean, that's uh that can get pretty hellacious. But, yeah. Well, so I, I think you're still probably in the top 1% in terms of guys that have spent an extended period of time alone with that many kids. Right. Mm. I, I, one of her, one of the girlfriends she's going to see in Houston. This is this is the first time they have three kids. Um, all uh, eight or under. I don't know their exact denominations, yeah. but young. The the dad has never been left with them overnight by himself. Not once, right? <laughs> never that, one time. That's, like, that's the point. How is this even? How's that reality? Dude, I think that's I think that's the vast overwhelming majority of dads. Really? Uh, yeah. Heck that's yeah, dude. Because I. I, I just, I, you know, I've talked to guys He's like about worried it. about him. I'm like, dude, it's just like second nature yeah. to me. Uh, right. I don't know. I don't know. But I, dude, we're, we're unique in that regard. And I kind of, I kind of am proud of it. Right. Like, yeah. you know, I, I've talked to guys who are like, Whoa, how'd you pull that off? And I'm like, uh, you just got it out and you know, do what has to be done. And am I as good as it is? She has no, but right. kids got everywhere they needed to be on time and they were fully clothed. So yeah. everything worked out, and they, they didn't starve. No, but um, they did eat fast yeah. food a couple times. Yeah, there may have been some Panda Express in there. Does it count if you order into a sit-down restaurant? Is that fast food? Not really, right? Eh, I don't know. Because <laughs> we definitely did that about half the time, too. Right. Yeah. There weren't any home-cooked meals last week, I'll say that. Yeah. Well, good good stuff there. Um, oh, and I went to a men's retreat over the weekend, so that was a nice. Oh, yeah. nice. With, we with have the a, church? Yeah. 
we have an awesome this is the second year i've been to it uh second year that our we have a group of men which i, I guess i'm included in that uh is leading these retreats ourselves like mm-hmm. they did it in 2019 where they like farmed that out to a third party maybe the ones that ran the facility or whatever and they put the whole program together right and starting last year the, our men's group actually runs it so the talks were given there were four talks and they were given by just guys that we go to church with right we didn't even have we didn't have a single pastor there just because of their schedules and needing to be at church on sunday and everything but um so it's really cool because it's super intimate you get to know guys from the church you know on our awesome real level and the place that we did it uh you should check out sometime it's called i think it's called vidalia farm or vidalia ranch starts with a v i'll send it to you but um it's a old horse farm that was built in 1941 it's like 6500 acres um close to like the heinous and we turkey hunt there Uh, man there's got to be turkey somewhere there's got to be turkey somewhere that's a good question i didn't see any while we were there um they can't be far because it's not too far from like the nueces and frio rivers it's like between them uh but that uvalde dehanus like uh utopia i think the actor address is actually utopia Mm. so it's in this beautiful part of the world but it was a horse racing uh facility like breeding facility and so they took the old mare stables there's a there's a set of mare stables and then like you know two or three miles away there's the stallion stables right because i had to keep them separate obviously right um and so they took the old mare stables and converted it into lodging and so each you know uh foaling stable so th- those are extra large stables because they're designed for the mare to have the foal and you know keep the foal mm-hmm. until the foal is ready to go out uh into its own pen or whatever so they end up, they've got like three queen size beds in each one and still a ton of space. And they you know, took a corner of the room and turned it into a full bathroom. Dude, the place was incredible. And so like, it's got Sounds this cool. long run and rooms off either side and then top floor rooms off either side. And then like a room with pool tables and foosball and a video games and a bar and uh, like a conference room and like a dining table and then a Do huge outdoor drink patio. on church on church retreats. We did not. Okay. We did. Uh, discuss it and uh the wiser uh <laughs> the wiser among our leadership said no we're not going to drink because growing up so. southern baptist uh that that wasn't a part of the curriculum right drinking yeah it wasn't but now when we were in high school at church events it became part of the curriculum but <laughs> right uh, it wasn't sanctioned and in, in fact <laughs> they have a bunch of nice poker tables and blackjack tables and stuff uh-huh. and uh we couldn't even play like texas hold'em for fun money like for you know for just chips yeah. like yeah. we were going to do that as like one of our activities and it was like yeah there'll be some guys who don't have we're like we're not gambling yeah but still i don't care i get it i get it all good stuff yeah. uh i wonder you mentioned horse racing i wonder how much longer horse racing will be a part of our society because they are uh you know like florida had this long-standing tradition of greyhound racing and uh last it might have been in 2019 actually they, they banned it there's they closed the last three remaining tracks. There's only a few states in the country left where you can actually go to a, a dog race. And uh, with the, you know, the Kentucky Derby, this was this past weekend. I believe it was the Kentucky Derby. I did not watch it. Uh, yeah, I think the Derby was, um, yeah. But uh, it's always that's the first like, one. there's so much money involved there. I don't know if they could ever get rid of it. but There's so much money in horse racing. Super powerful people. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, I heard 
somebody mentioned that the horse that won this weekend was owned by like a Saudi Arabian prince. Nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and look at the people that show up to the Derby, right? Oh yeah. It's still the sport of Kings, right? And it's Pageantry. the King. Yeah. That's right. It's the Kings that are in charge. So, I'm gonna you have know, a mint julep on the infield. Right. <laughs> those, um, <laughs> those ultra wealthy power players will uh, adopt a, you know, animal rights activist position when it suits them, mm-hmm. maybe like against hunting. Uh, but they'll just ignore the hell out of it when it doesn't like their, you know, love, beloved sport of horse racing. Right. So that compared to dog racing, there was a dog track in Corpus that was built when I was uh, it was built in the late eighties. I was probably eight, nine, 10 years old. That doesn't surprise me. Corpus is real seedy. That's my point. Dude. <laughs> the dog track is if, if they, if horse tracks are where the sport of Kings is held, the dog track is where the sport of hobos is held. <laughs> Offense dog race, dog track lovers. I went there. A, this is how, you know, <laughs> this is how, uh, I guess redneck or whatever we are. <laughs> My family is, is when that sucker got built, we were there a lot. My grandparents <laughs> who are, you know, borderline degenerate gamblers <laughs> were coming down from El Campo and I, my grandfather would go make bets for me. I'd get to bet like a dollar each race for the 10 races on, you know, a dog to show or place or whatever, or both. And then he taught me about trifectas and all that other stuff. And so, yeah, you, you don't see mint juleps and super expensive fancy hats at the dog track. Uh, so I'm not surprised that gets crushed. And yeah, the sport of Kings seems to be impervious to it. Even I mean, though let's be honest, the animals I don't think are treated any worse than like to compare the horses to the dogs. I mean, no, well, I was about to say they're all, they're all beaten and they're, you know, and, 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 and I'm not, I'm not like, dude, I don't care. They, I'm fine with it. I'm I, my, my puppy, she shit in her kennel yesterday. Guess what? I beat her ass. Not like abusive, but I smacked her on the head three times and threw her outside. You know, yeah. I mean, these people. That I mean, they like, euthanize horses you know, on. You know, yeah. animals that or dogs that that jump on people and like bark yeah, yeah. incessantly. That's because they never got their ass beat. You know, you got to show yeah. who's the ruler of the pack, and that's me. So, uh, I don't have any problem with that. And it's and when my when she goes to training for a year, they're gonna do things there that I probably don't want to know about. But yeah. she'll come back a little uh, well oiled duck fetching machine and that's what i'm after yeah to your point that's the way the pack works right the alpha lays the smack down when the smack needs to be laid down and to maintain order right uh yeah i mean they they euthanize those horses on the track right like every year like what was the one that like, lots it, of them dude. was it smarty jones that broke his leg in the like it was one of the uh, i can't remember, or no barbaro it was barbaro barbaro uh, yeah i'm barbaro thinking of like yeah. won the preakness <laughs> I'm thinking of, the of grooves's call yes and <laughs> next thing you know he's laying there in pain on the track with a broken leg and they just like walk up and just like well that's the end of this deal yep. for you barbaro <laughs> into the line buddy <laughs> yeah 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 no well, like that kind of stuff happens all the time and you don't see uh gigantic i mean i bet there are some pro- protesters out there guess right. who doesn't cover it the media why money because that's where the yeah. money comes from, right? So, yeah. Let's uh, let's let's transition into some of the um, the topics News of for the day. today. I want to start with this one because I found it very interesting uh, that the Biden administration is going to ban menthol cigarettes and flavored cigars, meaning no more uh, 
grape or strawberry or sour apple flavored blunts, right? Okay. Well, I think most of us in high school that partook in smoking weed probably used those grape blunts. I know I did. Um, not that that way. And I also smoked menthol cigarettes in high school, like, or maybe even in college. I didn't, I wasn't a, a regular smoker, but if we were having a few beers, I'd bum one off of you. And I just can't imagine. And the reason they're doing it, here's the best part. The, the, the reason they're saying they're banning these things is because they target African-Americans specifically. Okay. Yeah. Maybe African-Americans like menthol cigarettes, but what is more racist than saying we're going to protect you from your dumbass self than that? Like That's what part. about the rest of like wh- white people like regular cigarettes? So why aren't we protecting white people? It's, it's effing racist as hell. It's like, they're the too course, stupid. Man. They're too dumb to have IDs according to the left. And now they're too dumb to not smoke menthol cigarettes. Like wh- how much worse can a menthol be than a regular cigarette? What are we Just- doing here? <laughs> Just to be abundantly clear, Cable does not believe these things. He's saying this is what leftist policies seem to indicate right. they believe. You're and too I agree dumb with you. for your own good. I agree with you. And we need to take care of you and save you from yourself. That is, right. that is leftism in a nutshell. That is elite. Uh, uh, the fact you know. that they came out and said it was when I read that, I was, my mind was blown. Like They're actually saying that these people are too stupid to yeah, well, not to your point. menthol cigarettes. They're also saying that they're, they don't have the wherewithal to get an ID. Yeah, no, I mean, you're, you're right, dude. It's, this is the mentality of intellectual elites, right? They believe they know what's best for everybody. They believe they should, you know, control everybody uh, to an extent to, yeah, protect us all. And it's nonsense. I, it's I thought not, it was a nonsense. joke when I read it's it, but it's not. Racist. It's right. racist, dude. You're right. It is racist to allude to the idea that these people can't make their own decisions. Now, at the same time, it is true that a, of the smoking, you know, the black smoking population, a high percentage of them smoke menthols, a higher percentage than among, I guess, the white smoking population. But so the fix is just to ban the substance. It's the same thing as gun control, right? You know, it's not the person and their decision making behind the gun. It's the gun itself. Mm. The the cigarette didn't inject itself into their lungs, right? It, Right? It didn't, uh, and 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 to that question like I, I i mean i guess i just don't see a lot of cigarette advertisements in general but how do they target the black community like how, to, how from a marketing standpoint like what kind of voodoo mind control are they using or is it maybe just that for whatever reason that black folks that smoke like the way that they taste mm-hmm. seems like it's probably that my uncle smoked winston menthols winston's mm-hmm. no benson hedges benson yeah. hedges menthols uh, you know, basically his whole life because that's the ones he liked. I, dude, you know, it's, um, somewhat, I guess becomes like a little bit of a cultural thing, whatever it is to your point. Like that's, that's nanny state crap, man. And, you know, my hope is, you know, the, (laughs) I would think that there are probably, um, some black men right now who are real damn annoyed, um, maybe even some that voted for Biden going, who the hell are you to tell me what I can and can't smoke? Right. You know, but, but it's also racist because you're number one, like you said, you're telling them they're too dumb for their own good. Number two, it's only telling black people because you just said 
Well, your uncle smoked them. Majority of uh, menthol smokers appear to be African-American. So you're only telling that particular group that they can't have something that they want. Like, do you think they want, or do you think they're going to get tired of that? Like, uh, this is the message I'm getting from the Biden administration. Ban, 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 ban. When ban doesn't work, ban something else. We're, there's never anything about more freedom. You know, it's only taking no. shit away. You're not getting anything back. It's, mm -hmm. it's mind-blowing to me. that these people still are, are just like eating right out of his hand. The, the freaking guy can't even put a sentence together. Uh, his press secretary won't take questions. So Big brother loves him and wants to protect him. The whole thing them. is a freaking sham, and I hope people are waking up. Maybe, maybe this will piss off uh, the African-American community. I haven't looked at the headlines or like any response that's been put out. Or, well, you oh God forbid they interview that. someone that actually is a menthol smoker to get their take on what you know how they feel about it. You won't see that on. No, CNN. that won't happen. That won't happen. Yeah. It, uh, they don't allow anything to slip by that counters the narrative, unless it's on live TV, like that doctor that video that I think we'll probably get to, right? Yeah. Um, dude, it is like I said to start par for the course. Everywhere you look, the um, the application of like you know, critical race theory and everything that sort of has been born from that is all about segregating and treating different groups differently at a, at a government level, which is, I, I'm waiting for the Supreme Court case that challenges this crap on, on, you know, on grounds that it violates the Civil Rights Act of 1964, man. Like, this is the government, you know, implement, discriminating, absolutely, you know, deliberately, yeah, I mean, you could say, oh, well, they're taking all, all menthols off. But like you said, they're re they're, they've stated on record, this is why. If you go back to the Supreme Court case that challenged and ultimately, like, paired back the original travel ban that was, you know, couched as a, quote, Muslim ban that Trump had uh, put in in that first, like, 30 days he was in office, his statements as to the rationale contributed to the Supreme Court's decision, right? Like, on its face, you could say, I didn't ban a religion. I banned people from a certain set of, of nations, right? Mm -hmm. But publicly, he had said, you know, we're banning Muslim extremists from coming in vis-a-vis -vis limiting travel from these places. And so the Supreme Court was like, so clearly there's this, you know, religious liberty question at play here. Well, dude, I mean, going out and saying, to your point, that we have to protect black people from marketing that's targeting them by banning their preferred you know, style, you know, the, the cigarettes that a majority of black smokers prefer. How is that? How does that pass muster? And then we've talked about, you know, what's going on up in Washington and Oregon, where they're segregating city, city employees and, and city departments are doing race training where they segregate people, white versus all what they call BIPOC, black, indigenous and people of color hmm. for uh, race sensitivity training. They're doing it in, uh, certainly in private schools. Um, that's something we can touch on in a second. I don't want to get totally off base, but there's this guy named Paul Rossi who's become like instant famous over the last month because he took a stand at a very elite private school in Manhattan for basically critical race theory indoctrination. And the same thing, his stand he took was in an all-white Zoom meeting with students and faculty while a simultaneous all-BIPOC uh, Zoom meeting was going on. How any wow. of that is, 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 is That's allowed... That's going to bring us together. Yeah, I mean, I, I would imagine that 
there are cases working their way through the courts as we speak that at some point will reach the Supreme Court chambers to, you know, challenge the idea that any of this stuff is, is legal under the Civil Rights Act. But, but again, white and black people don't really hate each other. That's just what the media wants us, you know, that's just their, their message. Uh, yeah. I, you know, you know, I had, a and the, and the equal protection clause of the constitution. I've, I've really been paying attention to that. Like, uh, just in everyday life, like whether it's at the store at, uh, my son's baseball game at, you know, wherever, uh, what are my interactions with African-American people? Like, you know what? They've been wonderful. Nothing's changed. Um, My God. You know? Because, I, because I'm like, wonder if they really do think I'm a racist. What, do they hate me? I don't know. I don't hate them. Um, what, what has changed? And the answer is I haven't noticed anything. But I am cognitively trying to keep track of that in my head, like, just to see. Oh, dude, I, I wasn't joking the other day when I said something like, you know, I don't remember what I threw out there, but she told me I was – you know, obviously being facetious, but that I was being racist because I was thinking about color. And to your point, dude, 18 months ago, I didn't, yeah, like have a thought like that when I passed by any other person of, you know, another race and they're conditioning us to do that. But the thing is, that's by design. I mean, one of the fundamental sort of facets of that entire ideology is that races are different they're like fundamental to the existence of the individual you know at play and so you know hey martin luther king jr and everybody who you know has been groomed to believe that the color of our skin shouldn't matter y'all are wrong like this is not Mm -hmm. this is not like a like a hidden agenda it's stated by all of the you know woke progressives that are that are promulgating this stuff and promoting this stuff it is stated abundantly clearly you have to see that person's color and make certain assumptions about them and you know they state white people need to be uncomfortable because you know that's a facet of whiteism i guess is that you know we're, we're too comfortable and so forcing us to see these sorts of things is part of that process right to, to think that way so you, to your point it's working it's got everybody on pins and needles like mm-hmm. walk by somebody and be like i hope he doesn't think i'm a racist just because i exist right right <laughs> I mean, what that's exactly that, but that's it. Like now, so now I'm been conditioned to where I have to take uh, mental notes of of my interactions, and that's yeah. ridiculous. I know, it shouldn't be that way. Like I said, dude, here we are. It, that, 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 it's undeniable. Spend five seconds online, Google the way that Eber mixed Hindi talks about this stuff, and Robin D'Angelo talks about this stuff. That's what they want. Mm-hmm. That's what they want, and it's because they want to divide us because they seem to find power in that division right yeah they can build their coalitions in that division and you know my only hope is that all of these coalitions that 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 the the ties that bind them all under the you know progressive left-wing and now democratic banner are are so tenuous that they can't hold right they don't seem sustainable to me like you know you look at the i'm not i don't even want to spend more than two seconds on it but the obvious the obvious, you know, uh, contract or contract conflict between, you know, feminism and, uh, the, the transgender stuff, like it's obvious, dude, mm-hmm. like th- it doesn't work. Right. And yeah, it's, Oh yeah. Did you see, uh, Caitlyn Jenner is now like being yeah. labeled as 
anti-trans because she said trans uh, women shouldn't be allowed to compete in women's sports, which they shouldn't because they're a dude. <laughs> yeah. But now yeah. he's a now he's the, the hilarious thing Olympic is Olympic gold medalist who, yeah. who won <laughs> in competing as a as a man who is saying, yeah, uh, you know, people like me shouldn't be allowed to kick women's ass because we're physically superior, which they are in ninety eight percent of the you know sports well, in, in in certain ways, right? Stronger when it comes to right, stronger and faster primarily, right? Yeah. But when it comes to balance and acrobatics and stuff like that then they're not right so right. that's why in in it all ends up balancing out right there are there are thousands of things that women can do that men can't uh like having babies right right so oh, you just sound like a bigot chism you're like y'all mm -hmm. you just get back in your maternity ward and keep popping out kids <laughs> That's like I said, I, I don't, I don't want to get, I don't want to go, I, I don't want to go. Like, but anyway, I thought it was funny that now the face the of the trans room. movement is being labeled as discriminatory against trans people because of, of his comment, her, her comment. Yeah. Right. The one that was Ironic. You know, ESPN and I think time, you know, Oh yeah. woman of the year just in the last five years. Right. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. Um, moving on. Yeah. Universities are, there's a hundred, hundreds of them now who have come out and said for, I believe, next fall. And I read this article on CNN. Um, I'm sure you'll put a link to it in the show notes. But if you are not vaccinated, you're not taking in-person classes at their university, which, you know, you and I have talked about the vaccine a bunch, um, which is still not approved by the FDA uh, as anything other than, what is it, emergency uh, yeah, it's use. an emergency use, use authorization. Yeah. Right, right. Um, and they're going to make these kids put this crap into their bodies. And again, I'm not anti-vaccine. I might still get it. I don't know. Um, my wife's vaccinated. My parents are vaccinated. If you're high risk, get vaccinated. Uh, I haven't had it. Uh, I might get it before I go back to Africa. But I'll be damned if you're going to tell me that I have to have it, if you, like you've, you've mentioned on the show, if you're vaccinated and I'm not, what are you worried about? If it works, right. what are you worried about? So all yeah. these people are like, and everybody that's high risk has had the opportunity at this point, all of them. Right. 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 Cause we're now uh, certainly in Texas anyway, at the point where you and I can go get it. It, it is now generally available. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they're still saying Fauci's still saying, in fact, last week, Joe Rogan released a podcast where he said on it, that he doesn't think 20 year olds that are healthy need to get it. He didn't right. say they shouldn't. Yeah. He didn't, you know, and he oh, specifically it, explained, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I right. think this thing is safe. It seems very clear that it works, and but you know, I don't think that they need it all over him. Fauci himself called out Rogan, uh, this, <clears throat> this communicable disease and virology expert from Houston named Peter Hotez, I think is his name, called him out. Who's been on Rogan's show. Uh -huh. Like, they excoriated him. He talked about it yesterday on the one that dropped yesterday and kind of just laughed it off because, <laughs> because he has FU money, as he likes to say. Right. Uh, but he just gave an opinion and his opinion is dead on. And again, but the, but all of them are saying, well, you have to do it for other people who, right. if you're telling me the vaccine works and everybody that has preexisting conditions or us is, you know, within the age class, that's at severe risk has already been vaccinated or at least had the opportunity to get vaccinated. And if they chose not to, I'm then, then, then they're, a, it's called 
It's called accepting the risk of existence, right? Assuming the risk. Anybody who is at risk that hasn't gotten vaccinated yet is assuming the risk that they could catch it. Everybody that has been vaccinated, if this thing works, is fine, right? And I continue to go back to the single biggest marker other than age for serious complications from this thing is health in general. And the single biggest factor health-wise is your weight and your level of activity. I'll do a lot of things for the betterment of society that are some sort of sacrifice to my own liberty or my own idea of what's right for me. But I refuse to be told that somebody who won't take care of themselves, I have to take a shot to protect people who won't lift a finger to be, to lead a healthier lifestyle. That's just, it's just nonsense. And they're they're. I mean, it's dude, it's straight up. It's, it's communism. It, it is a, it is a communist propaganda thing, dude. Yeah. So the Pope, the Pope is now saying that we need to, we need to abandon concepts as a global society of individualism and individual liberty in favor of communalism. No, we don't. No, we don't. That's what has made this the best country in the world. No, Pope can kiss my ass. So, you yeah. know, I just, that's sad too. Uh, the funny thing I, is, you know dude, the funny God thing is wants, God likes us to be individuals. You know, that's how he, he created us like that. He didn't he gave us free us will to fall in line. He asks us to help others beyond question, right? We should always look to serve others, but absolutely. at the same time, he asks us to make personal decisions and gives us free will even so far as expecting us to turn to him voluntarily he doesn't force that right yeah man it's um i i don't know getting back to the the state of those authorizations i think i saw that pfizer has already gotten the green light for 15 to 18 year olds now still emergency use authorization but they can start injecting 15 to 18 year olds not at risk at all i dude I think I've said this, but the total number of people in America that have died of this virus under the age of 30 is not in the thousands. It's not even over 500. A few months back, it was like 200 people, man, 200 people. There was a point I know where the total under the age of like 20 was in low single digits. And even those become questionable because those kids were terribly, terribly sick already. Right. Right. And, and the so, flu is killing more than that. Like I got a, an email from my high school that said, hey, you know, we're sad to say that uh, this sophomore 16-year-old girl died of the flu in 2019. So that was pre-COVID. But, I mean, the flu killed her. The regular common flu. Yeah. Well, and the American or the North American Association of Pediatricians has said that under, eight, under the age of 14, it's way more deadly to kids than this thing is. And yet, when I woke up this morning, the first thing on my phone when I – lit it up was a CNN article and the headline was, I can't find it now, but the headline was something to the effect of how Pfizer is working or the, you know, how Pfizer is proving to the CDC that they should be able to start injecting kids as young as five. Like that was the, that was the, the pretense, right? The they've, they've now, they've now, they've now got like elder, you know, older teenagers and they're already working on getting five year old or whatever up to 15 Oh, and the other headline I saw in the last 12 hours was that they made three and a half billion dollars on these things since they rolled them out. Yeah. Well, going back to that podcast, I think that's all three companies uh, we did on Bill Gates, how the biggest transfer of wealth in the history of the world has happened during the pandemic. There were 220 new billionaires <laughs> in 
2020 slash 2021 since the pandemic. So the rich have gotten richer and the have nots have gotten less. So uh, that's the world we live in. I wish that I could have a, just a sit down with anybody that's not a that's that's not a dyed in the wool socialist. You know, I yeah. I've been struggling a little bit because I feel like I've slipped some from the Zen state I had reached in January. Right, I still don't hate even the socialists, even the Marxists, no, even I the ones that anybody. I sincerely no think are care- right. Maybe like Osama bin well, Laden types. But, but but you know, but I, and I'm trying to actively love them. We talked about right. Pelosi, right? I'm trying to actively, as Christ calls us to do, show love for these people, right? But. The, Can you be indifferent? Like I don't, I don't, hate, <laughs> I don't want to hate Pelosi, but I crack, don't know that crack I open like, the book, dude, and tell me if you find any. Tell me if you find any wiggle room in that statement. I don't <laughs> see not it. any. There's it, not yeah. any. <clears throat> the but my point is like I know there are Democrats who uh, are Democrats because the they feel the empathy that the yeah. that my the left dad, stands who's for. A, who's a chaplain at a public hospital for forever? Yeah, uh, is but then again, you know they have a bunch of money from um, family money. And so they're off gallivanting in, you know, spending time in Scotland and Europe and doing all these other things that, uh, typical <laughs> have nots don't ever get to do or experience. Yeah. So my my mom say, made the point the other day, name, name one rich person. One. Cause she was, and the argument she was making was that capitalism is based on greed and she's not wrong, or at least it leads to greed and sort of fuels greed. I'm, I'm not sure which the chicken or the egg, right? I think capitalism was born from human trade interactions, right? Value for value. And then, it, but it, but it's certainly a breeding ground for greed and abuse that comes from greed. Right. So I'll at least concede that to her. But in her argument, she was like, name one wealthy person that would trade pace places with a poor person tomorrow to make, you know, to lift that poor person up. And I was like, yeah, th- th- you're right. There's not, but there's also not on the left to your point. Like they promote socialist policies and stuff, but then, well, here's a great example. Um, they currently control the majority of the wealth, though. Uh, the one left, of the, so. Yeah, they, exactly. And one of the things that they're working on uh, in the Biden administration right now with Congress is to repeal one of the things that the tax bill that came out right after Trump got elected and had both the House and the Senate. One of the biggest things that it did was eliminate, and this was to somewhat offset some of the cuts, right, the tax cuts, it eliminated uh, the deduction that you used to be able to get if you came from a state with a state income tax, you would be able to deduct your state income taxes from your federal returns. Mm-hmm. And he was like, no, we're going to eliminate that. You're going to keep, you're going to still pay your full share of federal taxes. It's not our fault that your state sucks and beats you to death. Right. Guess mm-hmm. what New York and California are act- actively working on right now, getting that back because they don't like paying all those extra taxes. Mm-hmm. Surprise. <laughs> right right well i gotta play this one clip for you uh from a doctor in india ahead uh, of the you know in, in india they're having this huge second wave like they are actually burning bodies in parking lots have you seen that stuff of uh yeah i've seen it i'd be interested to know if that's truly never happened because the thing i saw they didn't necessarily say that uh, there's, there's well, a lot, I'm of, people, there's a lot of people in india tires in no no, no i'm not i'm not saying bodies. it's not happening i'm just right. wondering like is this the first time in India's history they've done it? Oh, uh, just a question. Know. But there's a, there's a lot is, of people there is my point. This looks like the worst outbreak I've seen uh, since this, since the Italy photos, uh, when this first, you know, when the world first became aware of what was going on in Italy. Yeah. That's basically, you know, times 10 what's going on in India because they have so many people. So anyway, 
This doctor, Farah Hussein, she's the head of a COVID-19 ICU unit at a hospital in India. Uh, she's on CNN on live television with anchor John Berman. So I'm going to roll that now. But uh, let me know if you catch what she says. I would like to, in fact, talk about my personal experience here. I have two elderly parents who are both with significant comorbidities. And my mom tested positive first. Uh, because of which she was taking care of my kids while I was at work, and hence my kids tested positive. But I'm thankful to say we were all doubly vaccinated. They've just had a regular flu. It, they've recovered, and uh, I'm also now on my day eight of illness, and I'm also slowly recovering. But the fact that, you know, you're not being able to, you don't need the oxygen, you don't need to rush to a hospital when you have this kind of an aggressive strain, because you're vaccinated is something that is a ray of hope for everyone. It is something that I would be very, very willing to promote, and people should go ahead and take their shot as soon as they get the chance to do so. What Did you catch what she just said there? <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a little tough for me to uh, pin down, but I think I heard her say something to the effect of, her whole family got COVID after getting fully vaccinated. She My, said was that doubly, what you heard? doubly vaccinated. Yes, doubly so, vaccinated. Yeah. yeah. And yet still got sick. But don't worry, we didn't die. Right. It's like, yeah, neither did 99.5% of everybody who contracted this disease over the last 14 yes. months. She said her mom was watching the kids while she was at work. Her mom got COVID, gave it to her kids who gave it to her. Right. They are all After okay because it, all it was just yeah. like the common flu was their symptoms. And yeah, which she said sucks eight a lot. Later, she's feeling better. The common flu sucks a lot. Yeah, and eight days is a lot longer than you were sick with COVID. Right. I didn't, but I, you know, I didn't get vaccinated. I killed it with bourbon. Uh, so anyway, maybe she should have tried that. But the, the irony here is that this was live on CNN and the anchor didn't really even catch what she said. He just Did you see right look on his face? So he's like, yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. So you're feeling better. Oh, good. No, never mind the fact that you were 100% vaccinated and your whole family still got COVID and had flu-like symptoms. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know doesn't make sense to me it seems like her mom would be the one that would have needed the vaccine probably in her 50s 60s probably, probably I'll tell you what, man. I, I, i'm not sitting here denying the fact that the thing works yeah. right I, i'm sure that it works they I, I don't believe that every all these studies about 95 percent effectiveness are lying to us and in fairness those that are really reporting anywhere near accurately will say it's 95% effective at keeping you from getting hospitalized or dying, right? So, so they, they've acknowledged in the data and in the explanation of the data, those that are really being candid about it, yeah, you could still end up contracting COVID, but your results should be better. That part I'm not sure about because the number of people who have been hospitalized and died from it is a pretty small percentage, one to five, one to five percent chance if you contract it that you go to the hospital, less than half a percent chance that you die from it. <clears throat> so, you know. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how much better you are off. It, clearly, these people weren't that much better off with no, it. No, they still had the flu after being what, fully vaccinated. Like, what, I would what, expect yeah. to, like, I had way, I was sick for th two days. Then I felt great for a day. Then I had a headache the third day, fourth day. That was yeah. it. That what, wasn't what pisses the, me the off. The flu would put me on my ass. That, that thing. Yeah. You know, I had the flu in law school, dude. And I'm telling you, I was sick. On yeah. the second day, I was laying on the floor of Ashley and I's apartment. 
you know, missing the first week of my second semester of classes and almost getting kicked out of law school for it because I wasn't even able to let them know. I, w I couldn't even muster the, the energy to call the school and be like, I'm dying <laughs> of the flu. Excuse me. Yeah. My constitutional law professor almost dropped me from my class. Um, yeah, dude, I was as sick as I've ever been from just influenza. And I laid on the floor thinking, like, I could see how this would take somebody who was old and frail out. I could right. totally, like, it was the first time I understood, wow, the flu can kill you. Which is why right. you and I both agree, if you're highly, if you're at high risk, or if you're old, get vaccinated. Right. 100%. And dude, and, and, and you know what, and if you're, are vaccinated. if you're scared to death and can't move through the world anymore, go ahead. I'm not saying anybody shouldn't. Yeah, it's, I'm just it saying, don't tell you. me what to do. Right, that's the whole point. It's yeah. civil liberty. Don't tell me what to put in my body. But, and, but what and again, is, it's what's so infuriating because I'm not anti-vax. So right. I just, what, you're not going to tell me what I have to do. What's infuriating for me is the idea that, that they're not, nobody is allowed to report on some of the complications. Nobody is allowed to report. There's a, there's a tracking mechanism on, I think the CDC website mm. might be on the FDA website. Um, where any vaccine has been there for some long time, <clears throat> excuse me, where you put, if you have a comp, if you have a reaction to a vaccine or you think you had a reaction to a vaccine, you can log it on this portal online. And, you know, this was a month ago, but there were already, man, I think it was tens of thousands. I'd have to, I'll have to dig it up. I'll do that. But that, that tracker is there and you can see the rate of people saying that they're having problems. I've got a friend in Virginia that's like our age that just took the second shot last Tuesday. Mm -hmm. And he texted me over the weekend and he was like, dude, I feel like I'm dying. Yeah. He was sick as a dog, dude. Yeah. It made my wife, like I told you, made her sick. Both shots made her feel like she had the flu again for, or, or coronavirus again for two days. So yeah, but um, there's more than that, dude. There's other. Oh yeah. And it depends on which vaccine you're getting, dude. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and yet, you know, it's just like, all you hear is, yeah, you might feel pretty crappy. You should probably plan to take a couple of days off. CNN will tell you that. Make sure to plan a couple of days off when you get your second vaccine. Cause you, yeah, it might, it might, it's like, I got to take some time off to get the shot. Mm. Right. But that's all they'll tell you. They won't report well, on any of the other stuff that's being in, going in into their that, opinion, that FDA to website. To be fair, like, why are you asking for time off? Because you're probably not at work. So <laughs> they want everything still locked well, down. You don't need to go to work, so you should have plenty of time to get vaccinated. I think what they're saying is you might be <laughs> too sick to jump up and do your Zoom calls and Teams calls. But, but anyway, those percentages aren't the majority by any stretch. It's just that I don't feel like, well, I know for a fact that there's nobody reporting accurately or honestly on the various complaints coming from this thing, right? And all they are doing is this, full frontal triple down on you better get your ass vaccinated you know and a lot of them are now and spinning it as then you're a problem you're a you're a threat to society dude, this guy hotez that i mentioned from houston that went on with rogan and then ripped his ass last week when he said that he didn't think 20 year olds needed to take it i'm listening to this audio clip on no agenda of him explaining how it's basically he said exactly this white right wing Republican white supremacists who are spreading these mistruths about the vaccine and are distrusting of it. And I was like, you know, I've heard that like over 60% of the black community is not interested in taking it and comparable numbers of, you know, brown people collectively referred to, uh, in California, as of a couple months ago, like 40 plus percent of the medical profession, doctors and nurses were like, yeah, I'm good. We've been fighting this thing for seven or eight months and nobody's died. So we're good. 
right? So he, you know, they're they're even trying to spin it as it's a, you know, it's it's what, a. Uh, what world do we live in where like white the 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 term white supremacist like that was something that as a kid I read about in history books, white supremacy, and then we went thirty years with really <laughs> no mention of it until two thousand twenty like. Now we're all white supremacists just because of the color we came out of the womb. But L literally, yeah. like that that's not a stretch. Again, critical race theory says that. So let me go back to something I touched on to start with. There's this guy named Paul Rossi. Like we're going to don first, our white robes. Like what are you yeah, talking about? Yeah, burning crosses. Mm -hmm. This guy, Paul Rossi, was a math professor at a school in Manhattan called uh, Grace Church, which is hilarious. Because it's called Grace Church. Mm -hmm. $50,000 a year private school for, you know, kids, little kids, not even college. Um, I, th I think it's like K through 12, but they I don't got know that, that for sure. You money. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so <clears throat> I had first, I think, heard him on with Megyn Kelly. Um, he went basically viral since mid-April when... Dude, it's an amazing story. So he uh, he really kind of blew up because um, uh, he wrote a – have you heard of Substack? No. I haven't gotten on there yet, but there are a bunch of independent writers and journalists and thinkers that are now using a platform called Substack mm -hmm. to self-publish articles and stuff. Okay. Um, and that lady from the New York Times, man um, – Dang it, she used to be with the New York Times. She's, you know, a lifelong liberal, but a free speech liberal, liberal, right? Got super sideways with the Times over the, about a year ago um, because she was challenging. I think she was the editor of the uh, opinion section. He has a guy's first name. Anyway, um, <clears throat> she resigned publicly. Oh, dear, dear Abby. <laughs> no. <laughs> she resigned publicly uh, because the Times editorial board was continuing to push critical race theory, you know, anti-scientific nonsense. Uh, and, you know, and, and, you know, it was like, it might've been specifically after um, one of the Senator, the Senator who wrote an article about, you know, needing to, you know, using, you know, police force to squash some of these riots and stuff. And anyway, um, they, like they, they objected to him having even been allowed to publish in the, New York Times, despite the fact that they would publish like Muammar Gaddafi and I think even Saddam Hussein once a time, once upon a time. Mm. Uh, anyway, so she resigned in protest saying that woke progressivism had stifled free speech within the, within the newspaper and, uh, you know, had completely undermined its credibility. And she started the Substack thing. So this guy writes an article for her and, and puts it on her Substack feed. So it got eyeballs. And um, Barry Weiss, that's her name, Barry Weiss. Yes, okay. I knew I would come with it. Very wise. She's worth checking out for everybody because she's a proper, like I said, sort of free freedom liberal mm -hmm. um, who, will, who will rip both sides, right? Equally and based on her My kind of gal. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So this dude, Paul Rossi, posts an, an article on Barry's substack explaining this situation at Grace Church. They, since last summer, had gone full bore on the teaching of critical race theory. And you know, at a fifty thousand dollar a year Christian private school. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, I assume it's Christian because of the name Grace Church. I haven't actually seen that, like, extra confirmed. I think it's a safe assumption. Seems like it. Yeah. <clears throat> but, yeah, they, um, they were promoting what's called the Pyramid of Whiteness, also known as the Pyramid, to your point, of white supremacy. And it has things like we've talked about that came out of the, uh, the Museum of National American History and Culture or whatever, where they were talking about like punctuality and, you know, hard work and like saying, I don't see color and that sort of thing as being like telltale signs of whiteness. Right. Yeah. So they're this. promoting this to like, you know, 12, 14, 17 year olds and uh, just hammering them with it. Right. And he explains how he actually had students in his class asking him, you know, is there another, and you know, obviously the police are evil. They're a racist institution. They need to be defunded. All, the whole, like, you name it, right? The whole gamut of, of radical racial theory was getting, you know, beaten into these kids' head. And he had some brave kids coming to him saying, is there any way we can, oh, and he's a math teacher, right? But he explains part of his role, every, every teacher in this school has like a small group of students that they mentor their whole journey through high school, right? Mm -hmm we had one it was called an advisor and you met yeah, like yeah. twice and, a week for like 20 minutes and in that setting they talk group. about stuff other than math right like y'all right. talked yeah. about life y'all talked about politics whatever right yeah <clears throat> so you know it, certainly in that setting but i also think even in his math class he was supposed to be teaching the racist nature of mathematics right um yeah or at least how it can be used as a racist tool i guess <clears throat> they were like hey is there another perspective here like we feel like this is all really one-sided is there and so he had come up he had asked permission of the faculty the administration to uh, teach some of Glenn Lowry's teachings. Glenn Lowry, I think I've mentioned him before. Uh, I know your sister knows who he is, is a black economist from uh, Brown University, but with an MIT and Harvard, with a set of degrees from MIT and Harvard. He and Thomas Sowell are two of the five, eight, ten, you know, top economists on the planet regardless of skin color right these are certifiably brilliant human beings and they're both staunchly conservative in basically every way right so he wanted to bring glenn lowry's teaching a brown university professor into his classroom to teach the other side of you know the the claims of critical race theory and specifically on the policing issue he was told by the administrators to their credit you can bring the other side into the conversation. You can bring conservative viewpoints into the conversation. So that was thankful, right? Mm -hmm. But you can't bring Glenn Lowry's because bringing a black conservative voice into the classroom will confuse the children. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. They're not allowed to know. They're not allowed to know that a black person might have a difference of opinion right. because that'll confuse them. Right. So that Whatever was like a breaking point just for him. Giving the kids the effing facts and letting them decide for themselves instead of so, to indoctrinate them. So I've since heard that guy on with, uh, uh, on a couple of other podcasts, and um, most recently the weekend edition. The weekend, Doctor Jordan Peterson. We've talked about him a little mm -hmm. bit, right? I know personally, yeah. absolute hero of mine. Had him on. That dude to me is one of the absolute vanguards of this fight, like out in the very front of it, fighting it with the greatest set of wisdom and knowledge and fact and science that anybody in the world could possibly possess in one brain. And so Rossi went on with him and basically had like, you know, a psychiatrist couch session with a renowned clinical psychologist 
for two hours about why did you do this? Well, how, you know, da, da, da. And, you know, one of Peterson's like fundamental things is that every person has to stand up for truth. Mm. You can't, you can't let yourself lie. It undermines who you are. It robs you of meaning. It, it's, it's destructive to your spirit. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's critical that people stand up and speak what they believe to be truly true when confronted with this kind of crap. Right. So in explaining it all to him, I got a lot more you know, background into it all. The dude explained that in college, he went to Columbia, I think. Uh-huh. He went to an Ivy League school, Columbia, I think. He was a staunch uh, postmodernist, um, studying Foucault and all these French ridiculous pseudo-philosophers who brought this, what's called critical theory, right? And, and, what's, and what's called postmodernism into academia. These French guys came over in the 70s bringing this new age version of Marxism and that's the basis of all this crap now, right? And, you know, the whole foundation of it is like, all you have to do is criticize. You don't have to offer any solutions. You can just destroy everything. And so one of the, when it comes to the academic setting, what they do in postmodernism is they just rip to shreds any article, any literature, especially literature. Like they'll take a book and like whatever the premise of the author says, they'll argue that the guy is actually proving the opposite of what he says because of all these different, you know, blind spots that they have and, you know, privilege that they have and all this other crap. Right. And it's just this, it's just this evisceration, like the whole, the whole mindset like is to, to just undermine. Oh, I mean, I've read some of that stuff. They argue that uh, anybody who thinks that 1984 is a critique of socialism doesn't know that, well, Orwell was a socialist. So you're an idiot. It's like, uh, yeah, but right before he died, he wrote this book and it seems like maybe he had changed his mind or at least right. was pointing out how it could go if you don't manage there's it well and it can't be manageable 1984 says uh, makes anyone think that socialism Dude, is a good thing he did not it's write a that great book it's a great it. example they don't have to rely on logic in fact they deny logic right they call logic a tool of oppression right so they they it's all just feeling it's all just emotion right so anyway back to the point this dude was one of those guys and he explained in great detail because of how jordan was able to pull it out of him that he wanted to be a creative. He wanted to be an author. In his 30s, he tried to be an author and he failed. And what he kept falling back to was postmodern critique because it gave him power over his creative betters. Those who were actually able to put creative thoughts and art into the world that people wanted to consume, they made him feel inferior. And so he gained a sense of, 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 of self and pride and worth out of ripping that stuff a new one, right? Mm. That's that is the fundamental like underlying premise of Marxism in general and of this entire postmodernist worldview is Peterson talks all the time. It's a, it's an attack on competency, right? These people that promote this crap, especially in academia, they think their brains are so big, they should be running the world, but they don't know how to do anything. And so they hate people who go out and build successful businesses and make themselves millionaires. They hate them dude at the core because they're successful monetarily and they don't know how to become successful monetarily. So they'd rather just burn the entire concept to the ground, right? Because it mm. eats them, eats up their soul. They can't find meaning in life beyond just this crit- critique structure. Right? So anyway, that was who he was. And then he, you know, very, you know, thankfully found his way into teaching and found meaning in his life in teaching. All of a sudden he had something he could pour into. He loved teaching these kids ended up teaching math despite having 
you know, basically a, a fine arts liter literature background or whatever it was. <clears throat> and, um, you know, started pouring into this. And then all of a sudden in the last 18 to 24 months, they start banging away at this critical race theory and saying that getting, you got me off on this tangent by saying like, everybody is a white supremacist. Doesn't matter how you live your life. Doesn't matter how you treat others. If you're born white, you're part of the problem unless you're standing with the anti-racist trying to burn everything to the ground, right? right? And they say that. Ibram X. Kendi says that straight up. You're not an anti-racist unless you're trying to burn the system to the ground. So anyway, <clears throat> he asks about putting Glenn Lowry out there. They're like, nope, can't put a black conservative, but you can put another conservative. So he starts providing those viewpoints. He's having private conversations with the dean of the school. And the dean is acknowledging his point that don't you feel like we're sort of demonizing the white student body of this school, making them feel, quote, less than, that's the term they all use, right? Simply for being white. And the dude's like, you know, he claims, yeah, yeah, I, I do feel that way. And I, I honestly, I think it's kind of gotten, uh, we seem to be overcorrecting. It's kind of gotten away from us. And, and I don't know how to put it back in the, in the box. And he had other teachers there saying the same thing, right? So they end up having this this town hall meeting where, they, again, they segregated the faculty, administration, and student body by race. Wow. And they had a white race training where they beat into the kids' heads the pyramid of white supremacy. And again, things like claiming you don't see color. Things That's like... Racist. Racist. What? Things like... How is that even possible? Things like, like promoting hard work. Dude, Some a list of <laughs> things, again, just like the... You can go to some episode of our show and see the show notes where you the think, uh glenn what's his name his name's glenn lowry uh you think he got where he was by by not being on time and working his not. ass off of course right. not you think you think lebron james did right no yeah. right nobody who succeeds in this world doesn't apply dude not even financial success you can't run your household without those tenants in it yeah. right yeah, Again, I, I but was, that's, why, uh, that's why it's undermining the very fact of the idea of competency. There should be no here. rules and no expectations and, you know, and, and no standards by which to live. 100%. 100%. So I still feel dirty about watching the NBA. I'm not going to lie. I still, I still watch it. I love it. But Luca, man. Luca. I know, Luca. Um, <laughs> but there's a, like, one of my heroes is Dirk Nowitzki. The guy was a gym rat. That's all he was. He worked his ass off. Then I found out, okay, so I'm watching the Knicks just beat the crap out of the Mavs, and there's this guy named uh, uh, Joseph uh, Ju uh, Julian, Julius Randall is his name. Randall's his last name. He goes off for like 40-something points, and the announcers are talking about how when he was a rookie, he played one season with Kobe Bryant, and Kobe told him, he's like, listen, if you want to make it in this league, when you're on the road, you find a place to get into the gym before, before – the pra practice for the Lakers ever starts. You go to an elementary school, you work it out, whatever. That guy pretty much farted around for two seasons, and then this year got serious. And he, when he goes to a visiting city, say Dallas, he's, he finds an elementary school, gets permission, has the janitor unlock the door, and he is there shooting for two hours before. This is like at four or five in the morning. Like this is his work ethic that was inspired by Kobe Bryant, who's one of the most, you know, you get the name Mamba, Black Mamba, for a reason because you're a cold-blooded killer. And Kobe got that way because that's what he did. He worked his ass off. He went to these places in a, in a city he didn't know and was there in the gym for two, three hours working his ever-loving ass off to be the greatest. Yeah, you know? obviously. Uh, and so these guys, all of them, athletes, doesn't matter. Glenn Lowry, doesn't matter. You, you get there because you work your ass off. Yep. 
Yeah, and I, I don't recall Kobe ever uh, espousing the type of political views that we're seeing from oh no the 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 modern sort of activist uh, yeah. NBA right mm-hmm. uh, yeah <laughs> yeah anyway let me let me let me finish telling you about this guy Rossi so Sorry. he no no yeah yeah I mean you're right I mean it, it, it's exactly the point right it's a matter of work and competency mm-hmm. so. So he, he raises his voice in this town hall and asks the question, why do I have to identify with this list of things you call whiteness, right? And, and that led to other people speaking up, both in these like chat boxes and kids were asking questions and other staff was asking questions and that all of a sudden they were challenging this concept. And one of his, one of his, uh, one of his co- colleagues like went on a rant about how he just can't see, he cannot believe that he works with somebody that he thought was a friend that would, you know, dare... Uh, you know, not acknowledge his white privilege and blah, 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 blah. And, and, you know, I know this about myself and I know that about myself. This is a I white know guy. That yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. and he, so he, so he, he, like, he went through the, you know, the, 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 the struggle session mantra of all the ways that he's a terrible human just because he was born white. And the guy Rossi's reply was, I'm really sorry that you stereotype yourself like that. That's really sad. Uh, really? And that was like, like a meltdown moment. <clears throat> so, you know, long story short, they end up having to have meetings and then he, he describes like meetings about the meetings and he gets chastised for creating an unsafe environment and, you know, disrupting the children's health and well-being and all this crap. And along the way, he continues to have conversations with the president and he really gets aggressive with him and pins him down. And he's like, you know, don't you agree that we are demonizing white kids? And he's like, I do feel like we're making certain parts of the population within the, you know, within the school, maybe feel less than, and he goes, the white population, right? He goes, well, well, yes, I mean, it, it is, you know, sort of targeted at white people in general. And he's like, well, we have white kids at our school, right? And he's like, yes. He's like, okay, so we're making white kids at our school feel less than through this teaching. He's like, yeah, yes. So he releases this, uh, I think it was the thing he put on the substack, and the school responds to it. and And the dean specifically responds to it and claims that he mischaracterized everything, lied about everything, that he made it all up that, you know, this was just him being defensive. Guess what, boss? I was recording it all. <laughs> and he puts that out there. And New York is a, just like Texas, a uh, single consent, you know, single consent state or whatever. So he was legally recording the conversation and he could prove that, yeah, the Dean did say all these things. And he did say that some of our, my colleagues agree with this and this thing has gone way overboard. And so he's blown up uh, and again, this is a guy who came from that place. Like he was a postmodernist, right? You know, by training, right? Uh, and now he's like, you know, he he talks about how he the good thing is, and, and the thing I took heart from a some of those kids were asking for a different point of view. That was awesome to hear. Smart kids, right? And I think there's a lot more of those kids out there than we realize. B, he was convinced that basically he had taken this defining moment in his life that was going to destroy his career. Right. But he did it knowingly. Like he, he, he was like, and again, this is sort of a Peterson thing, uh, which he said at the end of the show, he was so thankful to come on Peterson's that Peterson had changed his life. He'd learned a ton from him that he's, like I said, sort of the leader of this idea that you have to stand for what you believe. Right. And so he was doing that and he thought it means I'll probably never teach again. So he was working on figuring out other ways to make a living. And he's like, dude, my inbox is flooded with invites to schools all over the country. Uh, begging me to come teach there because everybody's fighting back against us. Speaking of news, South Lake Carroll, right? The city of South Lake, just uh, the school board voted down like, do you know what I'm talking about? Mm, no idea. 
dude, you need to Google this, man. Right there in South Lake in the Dallas area, mm-hmm. critical race theory had been uh, instituted by the former, by the prior uh, school board, like under cover of darkness. Like they held a basically wow. an, an unnoticed, like, you, you know, know the, with, without right. If you're doing it behind closed doors without, without providing notice to the school community, uh, the parents, you know, the, the city of South Lake, they held a, what is being, what I have heard described, I don't know for sure about their rules and regulations, but you know, basically an illegal vote to promote critical race theory in that school. So they had a weekend retreat where all the teachers went and got taught what critical race theory would be all about. And thank God the person I was listening to said, you know, because it's Texas, you know, a group of them were like, no, we're not doing this. And when they got back home, they started telling everybody, this is what they want us to start teaching. And a huge sort of uproar began and kind of an uprising. And uh, yeah, ultimately they had a a board election just last week where um, they didn't even get a single Democrat on the ballot for uh, the open position or positions. The lady that ultimately got elected clerked under Justices Thomas Analito at the Supreme Court. Mm. She's an attorney. So she's a certifiable badass yeah. and she's going to be in there wrecking shop. And ultimately they, they were able to vote down by a three fourths margin, uh, the continuing of critical race theory in the South Lake school district. So at the same, you know, hmm. simultaneous it's right in my backyard. I'm surprised I hadn't heard. About yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah, no, me too. Um, I heard it on, you know, national level podcasts. Um, at the same time, the city of Austin, the, I guess last week, I guess the first week of May, this is, is going like to be a, bad news. Nothing good ever comes. No, 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 no. Oh, it's going to be good news. Okay. <clears throat> um, they held a vote to reinstate the camping ban inside basically the city limits, right? Like the, the homeless problem in, in, Houston, in Austin exploded, I think about, it's like two years ago this summer hmm. when the city council voted to strike down the, the ban on camping in the city, right? And so for the last two years, Tens of thousands. It's become, yeah, but not just under overpasses, dude. They're throwing up tents like along Congress and they've got the same problem with human feces everywhere and drug needles everywhere, right? Dude, it's gone to hell. My woke sister, I think I may have talked about this on the podcast, but last summer she and I, we were talking and her and her husband were, you know, just This is the same sister that wears the fuck Trump shirt. That one. (laughs) You know, they were both on fire about the the destruction of the city of Austin by this permissive attitude towards homelessness. And, you know, she used the term, it's those effing liberals in the city council. And I stopped her and I was like, Sherry, those people aren't liberals. Those are, that's woke progressivism run amok. Right. And I, anyway, it got voted down. The long and short of it is it got voted. Well, it was prop B interestingly, the same name as what we talked about on our last podcast, but prop B in Austin was to reinstate the camping ban. And it was, I guess, it won by a 55 to 45 or like 56 to 44 percent margin. So almost a mm. roughly a 10 point margin in favor of reinstituting and cleaning up the streets. Um, you know. Oh, good. It's uh, a, who would have thought law and order are necessary? Dude, just like just, uh, you know, public health protection. Right. Mm. Like it, it's it sucks, man, because I think as Christians, we both know that the homeless problem is something that 
we all should try to figure out how a way yes, to try to help. Yes, it is. Right? And there are people who are downtrodden and, and have fallen on hard times that are homeless. But you know what? A lot of them oh. is self-created by drugs. Dude, people uh, there in Austin will tell you that they have an entitled. They're, they're enabled and they have an entitled mentality. He said, you walk by the, the majority of those folks nowadays will almost physically accost you. And when you tell them, I don't have any change, they'll just start cussing you out and telling you about your privilege and oh, yeah. you know, what a piece of crap you are, right? In San Francisco. Yeah, I mean, Dude, it, I don't to your point, All like, I have is a credit card. I'm not giving you my credit card. Sorry. It's it's one off. thing. It's one thing to be downtrodden, out of work, and all that stuff, right? It's another thing to say, "This is the way I live. It's perfectly acceptable, and you need to bend around it." Right? That's mm-hmm. not only that. You that, need to give me what I want. Right, and, and that's what was happening there. Right, and more more importantly, there's a multi million dollar facility that's been built for the homeless people in East Austin. It's too far away for them to panhandle. Too far away, too far away from Six and Congress where they want to be, right? Yeah. yeah, and and they have rules. Can't be on drugs, right? Same story you hear in every city across the country. They don't want to be there because they can't booze it up and get and you know and take their drugs and yeah, they're too far from the panhandling. So the place sits empty. The city has tried. The place sits empty. So Plan B for the progressives is like, well, well just let them do what they want to do. And even with, and this is the thing that gives me a lot of hope, you know, I've made the point about, I don't believe the idea that Texas is quote turning. I don't believe the idea that Texas is turning blue in the first place. And the last election proves that pretty unequivocally, but I don't believe the idea that people flee places like California to come to Texas only to then screw it up. And the polling in the Cruz Beto election back in 2018 proved that I looked it back up yesterday, the Dallas morning news. I've had the stats wrong the whole time. The Dallas morning news reported on that, that, that election in the exit polling at the time, 56 to 44 non-native Texans voted for Cruz. They actually carried the election because it was 49 to 51, 51 to 49 in favor of Beto among native Texans. Mm. So there were more native Texans who were sick of Cruz's crap to such that he would have lost if it had just been native Texans. It was actually the out-of-staters who carried the day for Cruz in that election. A lot of that had to do with there were people who were pissed at him for standing up against Trump and the Republican National Convention and all that right. other stuff. I don't, I don't think it's because 51% of native Texans have gone blue again, see the last election. But the fact that Austin is the like target destination for these out of staters and they're clearly Hello, fleeing Joe one Reed. of the biggest, that's right. One of the biggest things that he left LA for and everybody else leaves the greater LA and San Francisco areas for to come to Texas, in addition to low taxes, no income taxes, a great business environment, et cetera, et cetera, is getting away from that, oh, this, this homeless crisis that, to your point, they're enabling and encouraging. They're coming to Austin to get away from that. And then you see a resounding victory in favor of, you know, reinstating some sort of order. <laughs> the guys on No Agenda played an audio clip last week, since you and I last recorded, of two progressives in Austin that were being interviewed on the street by like, um, uh, it was by, um, all oh, that news outlet that used to have the HBO show vice. I think it was vice. Okay. Vice is interviewing these two people about that ballot measure and their thoughts on the homeless problem and whether they should be allowed and permitted to just do whatever they want. And these two were so torn. I felt for them. <laughs> they were so torn because they hated, they didn't hate, they were really disturbed by what they were seeing in the city, right? right? The lady explained that she no longer felt safe, safe showing up to work before the sunrise, that, you know, they were concerned about, you know, their kids' safety, walking down the street, their kids' health, because again, of feces and, and needles everywhere, right? 
Like they're sitting there explaining, yeah, we see it. We're not blind. The things have, this has not worked out like we had thought. Like, I don't know what the hell they thought, right? Right. But the, but the, but the beauty part was they asked him how they would vote. And the guy says, you know, I'll probably still vote against the measure, but I have to admit, I really hope that most people vote for it. Wow. So he sat there and said his preference was that they ban the camping, but he couldn't ble- bring his bleeding heart to vote that way because he couldn't face his progressive friends or look himself in the mirror for being so heartless. It's like, dude, that's what I, leftism in a nutshell, man. Mm. Voting against your self-interest. <laughs> leftism in a nutshell, man. <laughs> Voting against your self-interest out of emotion and empathy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's a good one. That's a good place to, to end this episode on. Uh, I know you wanted to talk about some um, like human monkey genetic experiment stuff. Uh, what was that? Yeah, we'll save that one. Yeah, we'll do it next time. Yeah. So, the monkey, long and short of it is, human y'all Google it. Up, time yeah. Magazine, NPR, there's articles from reputable news sources all the time right now reporting in the last two weeks about embryos that have been created in a lab in California that are a combination of human and monkey DNA. So we have officially created apparently viable living chimera embryos interesting so. all right well we'll we'll table that one for uh for yeah. next episode uh for chisholm cook i'm cable smith thank you guys for tuning into justified pursuit we'll see you next time stand up fight and that wake up with my sheets soaking wet and a freight train running through the middle of my head and we Cool my desire